You're listening to teaching from Castle Hills Christian Church in San Antonio, Texas. More information about Castle Hills Christian Church is available at chccsa.com. school and high school, you quickly realize that there's a coolness food chain. And often this is determined at lunchtime. And the place that you sat at kind of determined where you ranked at in, in this food chain. Now I want you to think about where you sat at at lunchtime. In, in my high school there were round tables in the lunchroom. And I remember several of these tables were for the cool kids. Uh, the, the star athletes, the cheerleaders, just the most popular kids. That's not the table that, that I, I sat at. I, I know that you're shocked by that. There, there were other clusters of tables uh, there in the lunchroom. There was uh, some that, were, uh, that mainly the athletes sat at. They weren't the star athletes, but, but they were athletic in some capacity, and, and they loved watching sports and being, being involved in sports since uh, and, and then there were other tables that you had your band and your choir and your fine arts kids, kids that were extremely talented. Uh, there, there was a table that you had kids who were just super intelligent. Uh, things, I, I mean, they would be talking and half the time I didn't understand what they were talking about. You, you had uh, the cowboy uh, table. Uh, these were the kids that had the big cowboy hats and, and, and then cowboy boots. And then they would also have their, their belts with the big buckles on them. And, and so you could just tell by the way that they dressed exactly where they, they were going to sit at. You had the JROTC group uh, that they all sat together and they would talk about things. You had your skaters and your goths who normally dressed in black in some capacity. You, you had your misfit table, uh, kids that who would get in trouble, who might be the ones that would smoke in the stairways. The kids that kind of were, uh, didn't have a real place to fit at all, and they were the kids in the margins. Well, one thing that you realize very quickly is you never went and sat at the cool table unless you were invited. And if you tried to go sit there, you're going to be made fun of and ridiculed. And we see this played out time and time again in, in schools across America. But I also see an example of this in Luke chapter 7, starting at verse 36. There, there's a Pharisee named Simon, and I want you to kind of picture like him and his group of friends, the Pharisees, the religious leaders, they're at the cool table. And he invites a guest named Jesus. Everyone wanted to hear from Jesus. They wanted to hear his teaching. They wanted to hear what he had to say. And, and they're at Simon's home. And, and then I want you to picture there's kind of a courtyard. And the courtyards were the other kids sat at, uh, away from the cool table. And so Jesus is there, and next thing you know, there's this sinful woman that comes to the cool table, that actually comes into Simon's house. And Simon didn't have Jesus' feet washed. That was a very common practice. People would walk a long way on dusty roads, and their feet would be dirty and, and stinky. Uh, but this wasn't done for Jesus. And, and so this sinful woman, this woman that had, uh, from the wrong side of the tracks, uh, some scholars think that she was a prostitute. She comes and she sees that Jesus' feet isn't washed and, 
and she's overcome with emotion and she starts crying. And not just a little bit, but a whole lot. Enough to literally wash Jesus' feet. And then she dries them by letting down her hair. Now, we don't think a whole lot about this, but back in that culture, that was a big deal. That was a very intimate act. That was reserved for your husband. I read one scholar that said that was basically like going topless in public. And so she has, she's washing Jesus' feet, she's drying them, and then she uses some very expensive perfume and anoints Jesus' feet. And we see this just lovely act of worship, this spontaneous act of worship. And Simon sees this, and he's disturbed. I think, I wonder if he's thinking, how did this sinful woman get into my house? And then on top of that, he's, he's thinking, if Jesus truly is a prophet, he would know who's touching him. That this sinful woman, this disgusting woman, this woman that is far away from the cool table, from, from people like us. And basically, Simon's philosophy and, and most of the Pharisees' uh, philosophy in life was that you needed to behave in a certain way. You, you needed to act in a certain way. And then you needed to believe just like us. And, and then you could belong. Then you could sit at the cool table. You could be like one of us. But we're going to see throughout this series that, that Jesus has a different philosophy than most of the religious uh, teachers and, and leaders. His philosophy is you belong, then you believe, and then you become. Come as you are. And we, we all have a past. We all have mistakes. And you don't need to clean up before you come and sit at the table. And, and then believe in him. And then he's going to transform your life. And so he knows what Simon's thinking. He, he knows that Simon thinks that he's so much better than this sinful woman. He, he knows that he's questioning Jesus for letting this sinful woman touch him. And so Jesus tells another story. We call it a parable. And it's about forgiveness. And he says there's a money lender that has two debtors. One owed 500 denarii. The other owed 50 denarii. But because they both couldn't uh, repay, the moneylender forgave both of them. And so Jesus asked, which of them, therefore, will love uh, this moneylender more? Uh, 500 denarii would have been about two years' wages. 50 denarii would have been about two months' wages. Uh, Simon knew the answer. The, the one who had been forgiven more would love more. Uh, and Jesus said, you are correct. You know, when we received forgiveness, our, our natural response is thanksgiving. And, and your worship is basically giving thanksgiving to Jesus for what He's done for us. As I look at this story, I, I want to be like that sinful woman where I just worship and I, and, and I just pour out my heart. But if you've been a Christian for very long, and sometimes we find ourselves a little bit more like Simon. We, we can kind of go through the motions of worship, of what worship is, uh, kind of looks like. I, I remember, I, I've been a Christian for a very long time, started going to church uh, basically as a baby. And if you grow up in church, you, you learn that there's kind of like a worship uh, checklist. This is what worship looks like. 
you, you, you want to come to church and, and you have this corporate worship. And so worship is, is, is coming to church and you come into a, a worship center and this is where worship takes place. And, and then you sing. And, and uh, especially in the 90s, uh, when I was a teenager, I, I learned that, that true worship, you had to do hand motions when you're singing. I mean, uh, we would do all kinds of hand motions and we had to move. And I remember going to CIY, uh, these, these camps that truly transformed my life. But I, I remember it seemed like every time that we worship, we were doing hand motions. And, and that's what worship looked like. And, and then you quickly learn, well, to, to worship as well, you, you need to read your Bible. And that's very important. And then you need to serve. And, and so you want to you wanna serve in some capacity. And then you need to join a group. You need to join a small group, a, a life group. And then you need to give. You want to give of your resources. You want to give of your talent and, and, and your time. And, and, and what I realized after a while is all of those things are really good things. You can give, you can read your Bible, you can pray, you can sing, you can come to church. But you don't always worship. Sometimes your heart can be far away from God as you're going through the motions. And those can just be rituals. And, and, and I know for myself, sometimes on Sunday morning, when we were meeting in, in our worship building, I, I, my mouth would be moving, I, I would... Uh, supposedly singing, and I'm not sure it was a very grateful noise or a joyful noise, uh, but my heart, my, my heart was thinking about other things. I was thinking about, is it too hot in here? Is it too cold in here? I was thinking about the person who just complained about something to me right before I moved up to the front row. And, and something that I realized is that I need to be very, very intentional to prepare my heart for worship. I, I love how Tony Evans uh, defines worship. He says worship is a response to a relationship. Worship is a response to a relationship. He says if you love someone, you want to express your love to them. And, and then he tells a story about a boy and his dog. He says there once was a dog that loved his master. Uh, this, this boy was a teenage boy and Wherever the dog saw the boy, and he, would, he would jump up and lick his face, and he would climb into the bed with him. He would follow him wherever he went. If he went to the park, this dog would go to the park. If the boy went to the bus stop, uh, and uh, the, the dog would wait at the bus stop all day long until the boy came home uh, from school. Now, why did this dog love this boy so much? And why, why did he have this unquenchable love for his master? It's because the boy had found him when he was a mangy stray mutt and had taken him in and nursed him back to health and, and showed him love and grace. And this dog never forgot who he was uh, when, when the boy had found him. And so many times I, I think that we take Jesus for granted. So many times I think we just kind of go through the motions. Sometimes we just read God's Word and, and it just comes words on a page. But we forget that we too are like that sinful woman. That Jesus found us and He tells us that He found us and He forgives us and He shows us grace. And He, and he uh, all of a sudden transforms our life. See, worship isn't just a, a Sunday thing. Well, worship is a lifestyle. It's a response to a, a relationship with Jesus. 
And so, yes, you can worship Jesus in song. You can worship Jesus by reading God's Word. You can worship uh, Jesus by praying. You can worship uh, Him by giving. Um, but we also have to be cautioned about not just going through the motions. We need to be intentional. And there's going to be times in our life that we're going to do some things that just don't make sense. Just like that woman that came into to Simon's house and anointed Jesus' feet. And it's that time that we just pour out our hearts to Jesus and we sacrifice. 